Welcome once again to another fantastic episode of the Business Creators Radio Show. We help business creators like you win at the game of business and marketing so you can thrive from your intersection of your brilliance and your passion and make a difference for your community, market, and audience. Please take a moment and visit our website at www.businesscreatorsradioshow.com. You will find hundreds of episodes covering a breadth and depth of topics relevant to you as a business creator and links to subscribe via your favorite network so you get fresh episodes delivered straight to you. So now we're going to jump in to today's episode, which is going to be about succeeding as a fashion entrepreneur. Oh, a little bit of a niche topic, huh? Well, we love to bring episodes like this on every so often because I like to see what actual business creators are doing in the environment of business and how they're applying the principles of business to achieve their success at their intersection of their brilliance and their passion. So when we have an opportunity like this, I give it a look. And when I see something that I think is going to be highly interesting for you as a listener, we certainly bring it on. And to guide us through this idea, this concept of succeeding as a fashion entrepreneur, we have, and I'm sure she's going to correct me on this in a second, Maria Pezin. I'm betting she's very good. I got it right. Yes. Yes. You did a good job. All right. Very good. So uh, let's tell everybody about Maria here. She's a senior apparel industry executive with an outstanding history of achievement and over 25 years of field experience. All I need now is for my cat to sit down so I can read the screen. She has developed brands <laughs> from the ground up and taken well-known names to new heights of excellence. Her proven leadership ability has led her to spearhead marketing operations. She has constructed and implemented business plans for New York apparel giants like Fleet Street and Gill Apparel Group, building multi-dollar, excuse me, multi-million dollar brands. Maria has established herself as an expert in everything from merchandising and sales to product development and budgeting. Budgeting. Ooh, can we have some fun here? So you've heard about her. You've actually heard her. And here she comes. Maria Peasant, come on in. The weather's fine. Yay. All right. <laughs> so we are. It was like, it was like uh, Price is Right. You announced to me as though I'm coming down the audience and joining you on stage. I'll certainly work with that. So by now, we have some listeners who are leaning in. They're opening that separate browser tab, and they're binging the Yahoo out of the Googles looking for this Maria Pezin, that's spelled P-E-S-I-N, you're welcome, uh, with a company whose website is vibeconsulting.co. Again, you're welcome. Wow, our listeners are checking you out by visiting your website, seeing what comes up in the search results and things like that. Let's take a moment here from you, Maria. I read off your official bio and tell us just a little bit more about your journey, your story, and what's brought you to where you are today, serving business creators from your intersection of your brilliance and your passion and making a difference for your community, market, and audience. Okay. Well, I've been doing this a very, very long time. I hate to say how long because it dates me, but it's 40 years, so it's a pretty long time. I started out, um, I always joke that I started below the bottom because when I came into this industry, I knew nothing about not only the fashion industry, but any kind of office work or business at all. I come from a family 
of blue collar workers. Women stayed at home and took care of the household. So I was a pioneer in my family, in just in my, my personal being a female, because there was less women in any industry, less alone fashion. So it was definitely me starting out where there was no clear path for me to follow. So I kind of had to learn about it as I went along. And I started out in clerical positions, but I built myself up. I learned, I worked hard. I got bigger and bigger jobs until I was running businesses starting from zero to building them to multi-million dollar businesses, right. profitable, well selling well. And I enjoyed it. I loved it. I still love it. About six years ago, I started my own business to work with startups and small businesses to help them navigate the waters because they usually don't know what to do. Either they're very design driven, so they don't know the business side, or they are on the business side, but their product isn't right. There's usually something that they need help with that they come to me. And I look at all parts of their business to see how we can improve and help them make money. Because let's face it, you know, we want to own our own businesses. We want the freedom through creativity. But if we're not going to make money at it, you know, then it's a hobby and not a business. So we want to make serious money for all the risk and the hard work. We want to have high rewards. And that's my background. And it's interesting when you said um, niche business, that this is, you know, a niche business. The truth of the matter is every business out there hopefully hits a niche that they can set themselves apart in because in order to start a business you need to have focus and you want to narrow in on a particular industry where you can make a difference it's very hard to be everything for all people so it's always good to niche down into something specific wow that's great uh let me tell you one of the reasons I was excited to have you here on Business Creators Radio is because of your work with startups and you know going a little bit beyond you know the niches you say in the fashion industry, but looking at how you can take some of those same principles and apply those to different types of businesses. So bricks and mortar, retail, online consulting businesses, what have you. A lot of times what comes up is making money just to get started. I know in my own story, I spent two years sitting at a job that I probably should have jumped out of while I was building my business as a side hustle because I didn't know what I didn't know and I didn't know what questions to ask. If I mm -hmm. knew what I didn't know and I knew what questions to ask, I probably could have uh, shortcutted that by about two years and saved myself a lot of trouble, but such is life. It's fact, it's why I do business creators radio show now is because I want to something that either myself or one of our guests like you shares to maybe have them say, Hey, wait a minute. I don't have to just sit here. I can implement this and I can get the heck out of here. Yes, absolutely. So let's you know, start with the thing that really, 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 really seems to be number one on people's minds. How much money do you need to start a business? Oh my God, that's such a big question. It really depends on what you want to achieve in the length of time you want to achieve it. And I'll give you a couple of examples. I, um, when I was running Jessica Simpson Coats, the company um, Jessica Simpson was owned by the Commuter Group. 
they own the master license. Yeah. And the person, um, the Commuto group was owned by Vince Commuto, who's one of the founders of Nine West Shoes. And he started his business after they sold the Nine West and started Commuto Group. And after several years of having this company, and when he started, he had five people. When I stopped working with them, when I started my own business, they had a building full of people, just to show you. And Jessica Simpson um, ended up being a billion dollar brand, just that one brand. But here he wanted to start his own label. He wanted something under the Vince Commuto label. And he went out there and he wanted to make a big splash. So he bought 50 pages of ads per season that first year that he started. Now, if you know anything about ads in Vogue and Bazaar and, and all of these top magazines, you know that they could cost 40, 50, $60,000 just in the marketing, just in the ad, not even the photography or anything else, just in the ad. So he put millions and millions and millions of dollars into this business, yeah. but he hit the ground running. He was automatically in all the major department stores and he got big orders and he grew very quickly. That's not always practical for any, anyone else. Not everybody has millions upon millions. There are people who start with $10,000, but they have a slower start, takes them a while to ramp up. So I think it depends on a, a collaboration of the two. You have to plan what your business is going to look like. Then you have to see what it will cost to do it. And then if the cost is something you can manage, then you're fine. But if you see that it's too high, then you reduce some of the things you intended to do. Maybe you don't do quite as much marketing, quite as much advertising. Maybe instead of having a collection of 30 styles, you have a collection of 10. Maybe you don't start out wholesale, you go direct on the internet. So it's kind of like you're working backwards. You're figuring out, what kind of business you're going to have, how much is it going to cost to do it, and where you need to cut corners in order to be able to execute and make it happen. Does that make sense? Makes dollars and cents, literally. Uh, there are folks out there who don't have $10. Yeah, it's very hard when you don't have $10. Because yeah. you know, just to buy the cotton fabric alone to make a T-shirt, there is a cost. So you have to... That's why a lot of people do what you did and started as a side hustle so that they could earn money and they can fund their business until they get started and get going. But there's a, a bunch of ways to get funding. If you have a really great idea, you know, you can go out and look at um, investors. I know people who take loans on their home equity. They talk to friends and family. They become creative on what they can do in order to get the money that they need. Yeah. And I've seen folks, if we want to speak about fashion, in fact, when I used to work at that job, a couple of my coworkers were starting their own clothing lines. Mm -hmm. uh, fortunately, they had nice sweatshirts that I was interested in. So I was happy to buy some of their wares and support their ventures. I don't think either one of them worked out long term because I don't hear about them anymore because I know there are actually a lot of folks who start these fashion lines and then they just only go so far with it. Either life gets in the way or they or the success hasn't come fast enough. But, you know, the good news is, is you don't necessarily need to quit your job and throw everything away to get started with this. 
with it's, some of the tools that are available. Not. Yeah, with some of the tools that are available today, um, in terms of uh, branding and production, distribution, marketing and sales, order fulfillment, you can do a lot of it, uh, you know, outside the nine to five. Absolutely, you can work whatever you want, and that's a really good solution for a lot of people to continue working and start their brand on the side because the truth is it takes a while before you can even start to sell your product because you have to figure out who's going to produce it you have to build the styles you have to get samples made you have to find fabrics all of that stuff goes into it and the more technically um more technical the product is for example bras women's bras they're very technical. You can't yeah. get bras and samples done in less than a year. And some places say a year and a half, two years. Really? Yeah, because wow. it takes a long time to get the technical part of it right. It's not an, an easy thing. You know, wow. there's boning, there's seams, there's like all different things that go into women's bras. So it's more complicated. So some things take a while to ramp up. It makes sense for you to continue at your day job when you start. I'll tell you something that I did when I started my business, which helped me. Well, number one, when I started my business, I didn't have a plan B. I said, this is my business and I'm just going to keep doing it till it works. So it's going to work. And that was the bottom line. So I was, I persevered even when times were tough in the beginning because I was going to make this work. Before I actually started the business, I knew, I knew about fashion and building a fashion business, but I did not know about the consulting business, how that worked and how to get clients and, and how to build it. So I hired a consultant for consulting. Does that make sense? I actually I'm actually I'm familiar with it because I've done it. Yeah. Like like like, like I've been that consultant for consulting. Uh, helping people sort through their many different resources and get them to all actually like speak with each other. And in some cases they call that an OBM, like an online business manager, although that's actually not what I was doing because being an OBM is something completely different than what I did. I was asking to uh, look to reduce redundancies and force them to have regular communication with each other so the client wasn't getting their will spun. That's a little bit different than an OBM. I see. Well, then you know from experience that Anytime you start a business you're not familiar with, because I wasn't familiar with consulting, hiring a seasoned veteran who consults in that area shortens your learning curve and saves you a lot of money, actually, because I, so many times people have come to me and they want to make a line and they spent a whole year. They never got good samples. They weren't happy with the production. They wasted a lot of money and they spent thousands with nothing to show for it. So... I didn't want that to happen to me. So I hired someone who could shorten my learning curve and, and he truly did. I mean, he did make a difference in my business. So I find that that worked for me. And I think that works for fashion startups even more because, you know, consulting is a little less technical than a fashion business where you're actually making product. You have to worry about fit and quality and workmanship and all of the details that go into production. There's a lot right. more. There's a lot more that goes into it. So if you don't know it, you could really spend a lot of money do, getting nowhere. 
yeah, that is really something to think about. Like I had no idea it took a year to design a bra. I mean, I know enough about, you know, cup sizes and how shapes of the, you know, of the anatomy can affect certain designs and, you know, the push up and I can go on and on and on. I even know the difference between a front loader and a back loader. Uh, but I had no Why? idea. I had I had no idea that it actually took a year, even with all that common knowledge out there, to create a broad design. That that's something I never would have because, thought of that. Because I didn't even know that until I worked with a bra company. Wow. I thought I thought you could do it in a shorter time, but it's so it's so detailed. You know, half an inch makes a difference in a bra. The bra shape, yeah. all of the stuff that goes into it. You have to really fine tune it. It's like making an engine. You know, it's so technical. You can't just design an engine overnight. You have to really look through all of the specs and all of the details to get it right. Right. Wow. Well, in case I ever go into fashion, now I know. If I, well, I it's interesting you know exactly. so much about bras. <laughs> I cannot comment on that, but I think you can fill in the blanks. But anyway... <laughs> All right. So since there are so many bras out there, not to mention sweatshirts, slacks, uh, hats, anything you want to do with fashion, uh, let's get into, uh, let's see, what should we do next? Unique selling proposition with so many people out there making clothes and the ready availability of clothes online or in the traditional department store or what have you, unique selling proposition. Wow. Okay. How, do you, how do you craft a USP that is going to make your stuff jump out from all the other clothing options? Well, let's start out with what that means. Okay. Because a lot of people don't understand the concept. They think they do, but they really don't. So for starters, there's a lot of product out there, as you said. There's, there's not one hat design. There's a thousand hat designs. Same thing with everything else. So there's a lot of product. And the fashion industry is not expanding in any significant way. It just isn't. Right. You know, the dollars are moving from one category to the other, but it's not really expanding. When I first started in business, clothing was a very popular thing to buy. Not that it isn't, but it was one of the few things you could buy. My parents didn't take me out to dinner. No one's parents took them out to dinner. They ate home, and then on right. a special occasion, they went to a restaurant. Now you go three, four, five times a week out to a restaurant. That's not unusual. We didn't buy cell phones or computers. We didn't have DVRs or you know special channels to watch. We had nine channels when I first, you know, when I was young. It was nine channels. But think of all the different things you could buy now. When I was a kid, everybody. Very few people had new cars. They buy used cars and then just, you know, live with the fact that they're used. But now there's all these loan programs and stuff. So it makes it available to anyone who wants to have a car. So most people yeah. do not have old cars anymore. So since all of this is buying for our dollars, people aren't just buying clothing for fun. They're buying other things for fun as well. So there's a lot of competition for our dollars. And that's one of the reasons why the fashion industry is not growing in any dramatic way because it's somewhat saturated. So if someone's going to buy you, then really they're not buying someone else in order to buy you. Would you say that's true? I'm going to express agreement with it for now. Okay. So 
basically, if I, I have an athleisure brand, that I have a client that does athleisure. There's a lot of athleisure. And for those of you who don't know what that is, it's um, sportswear, gym wear that you can wear throughout the day. So they have this athleisure line. There's a lot of athleisure lines and all the stores are buying them and they have certain open to buys. So if they're going to buy you, they either have a bigger open to buy or they don't buy someone else. And in a lot of cases, they're not buying someone else. So why would they buy you if they have all these vendors that they're already covered with? What would you have to do? You have to bring something special and unique and different that's really interesting that people want to buy. And that's what your USP is, is how you stand out from the competition. What you bring to the table that's new and different and special, even if it's not a new invention, it has to have a different point of view, it has to be unique to what you do. So companies come out, you know, when I was a kid, my grandmother wore girdles. Nowadays, we wear shapewear. Have you ever heard of Spanx? Yep. Okay, so she went into a market where everybody was wearing, you know, either girdles or control top pantyhose, but they didn't have shapewear. And she developed something new and different in a market where it didn't exist. And now she has a billion dollar business. From what I understand, she's worth a billion dollars and she started it from scratch. And because she had something special and unique, she was able to make a case for it. Now, in the beginning, people were looking at her like she had three heads and they thought, oh my God, this is the craziest idea ever. No one's going to buy it. But she finally convinced people to try it and the rest is history. Wow. See, that's that's something right there. Uh, so, you know, it also occurs to me is uh, when it comes to unique selling proposition, and especially with a saturated market and so many options and you know, the way people are spending for fun these days has shifted to a significant degree. I'm going to date myself a little bit. And I'm going to tell you that when I was um, an adolescent, I was one of those people that bought my clothing pretty much exclusively from the merry-go-round. Do you remember the merry-go-round? Yes, I do. About 25 years ago. I, man, I, I, I have not, there haven't been any like clothing styles that I've actually really fell in love with or even cared about since the the merry-go-round fashion line. Uh, A lot of people had a dream of owning one of those IOU jackets. I had four. Oh, wow. Uh, I had, uh, I had so many of their, their stuff that I could buy something and it would never have to be laundered. In fact, my big regret today is that stuff is really hot on a nostalgia market. I mean, I'm seeing these faded IOU sweatshirts from like ni- from like the 90-91 cycle, and mm-hmm. uh, they were originally purple, but now there's some kind of uh, faded mob or something like that. And they're <laughs> selling for, at least by dollar amount, like the same price they would have been new off the rack. I could have, at least in raw dollars, probably gotten all my money back off this stuff but I wasn't really paying attention and after I moved out of my parents house uh, I the stuff was still kind of sitting there so they donated it but had I known I'd have held on to it because it turns Mm -hmm. out that stuff is worth money now what attracted me to that particular store and the brands that they had within that store was a couple different things first of all it was a style that I really liked uh, I felt that it looked good on me and I felt really nice wearing it. So it gave me a positive feeling about my own image. That's one thing. Another is 
the pricing wasn't bad. I mean, these weren't the cheapest sweatshirts in the world, but for the value, uh, it was pretty good. And speaking of value, we're talking about very durable materials. I had some of the, the jeans they used to sell there, and I've never had a pair of jeans as nice as I got there. I mean, wow. it, it like saddens me that, that that line went bankrupt when it did. Where did you they, live? I lived in uh, I lived in southwestern Pennsylvania, south of Pittsburgh. So yeah, okay. there were a lot of those there were a lot of those stores there. I know that uh, it was very heavy in certain regions of the country. But I'm I'm just saying some of the things that you know lured me to that brand in particular. Uh, it was just you know a combination of how it made me feel, how it made me look, how it made me feel about how I looked, and the perception that I was investing in something that was high quality. Uh, I used to chuckle out loud or laugh out loud when people would tell me that the fact that I bought all my clothes at the merry-go-round meant that I had no identity of my own and I was copying another brand. But then meanwhile, they would say, well, you really need to go to Macy's and buy those types of clothes because, uh, because that's what all the successful kids wear. So mm -hmm. wait a minute, you're telling me not to copy something because I'm not copying something else? Right. And the, and the grief I got when I wanted my when I wanted my uh, IOU leather jacket. I think if I remember correctly, I had the I had the ninety two ninety three cycle. I think it, I think that was the year it said Legend on the back, and mine was a black Why leather you jacket. Why really knew this brand? Yeah, black leather jacket, and I and I got the one with the purple sleeves instead of the white sleeves because I was concerned about something happening to the white leather. So I bought that one and then I got a separate black one. It wasn't leather. So tonight, remember what you paid for it? $149 for the leather. Actually, no, the leather was 229. Mm -hmm. I remember that number now, 229. Um, and boy, they give me grief. He said, he said, okay, who do you know that wears that jacket? Well, obviously somebody I know had that jacket. Because I saw it on somebody else, and I thought it looked good on them, and I thought it would look good on me. Mm -hmm. But boy, I tell you, see, that's what. But, but but the positive side of that is when you're dealing with a unique selling proposition. What jumped out at me when you gave that explanation is why I'm sharing my story. Is those brands that were in the merry-go-round store captured my attention because of how they made me feel. Right, and that's a really important thing when you're doing branding is you want to create an emotional connection to your brand. You want them to feel good in it. You want them to feel confident when they wear it. Yeah. Feel attractive. So, yeah, uh -huh. you got it right on the nose. Right. Now, today, I'm one of those capsule wardrobe people uh, because the advice I later adopted is go with timeless styles, mm -hmm. spend twice as much as you normally would, but buy half as much. Well, now you're an adult and you're... Exactly. You're, so I evolved. In a different place, yeah. Yeah, but but all but all the same, but all the same, and being it, being one of those capsule wardrobe types, wearing the classic timeless styles that don't have logos and don't have branding on them. In fact, most of the clothing I wear is either black or dark purple. Uh, that it's also funny that most is dark yeah, purple. That that, all, that also specific. speaks to person, yeah, also speaks to uh, to something that people were used to seeing. I've had people comment and say, you know, I've seen you wear that pullover seven weeks in a row, and I say. You haven't seen me wear this pullover seven weeks in a row. What you've seen me wear is this style of pullover seven weeks in a row because I liked it and I bought three copies of it. You know, it's like the guy, Steve Jobs, he wore the black turtleneck and jeans every day. Right. He didn't wear the same black turtleneck. He just had a wardrobe of black turtlenecks. Yeah, 
Yeah, and uh, and you're seeing more and more of that. Uh, like, uh, for example, we can say Mark Zuckerberg. He always wears that that T-shirt with with a pair of jeans, and you're seeing that movement uh, with certain you know certain executive types. I, I cite Zuckerberg is one of the most obvious and iconic examples. And part you know of the why reason, they do that, right? Well, there's well, I've identified two reasons. One of which is it's their own personal style, so it becomes part of their brand. If if Mark Zuckerberg shows up in a turtleneck, you know something's off. You expect that T-shirt and jeans, and if he has to go, and if he has to go before the money people, he puts on a blue suit with a red tie. Those are those are his marks. The other reason is because it's one less decision he has to make. He's got to make a exactly. billion decisions running a multi-billion-dollar company. So all he has to think of in the morning is: this a T-shirt and jeans day, or is it a suit day? That's all he has to think about. Right. So he doesn't get decision fatigue. Yeah. That's that's very important. Uh, that's why you see folks will sometimes eat the same foods every day because it's decision fatigue. I know somebody who does not think about what they what they eat in terms of their meals or anything because mm -hmm. they plan it out one month at a time. Oh, really? So they so they have so they have they have variety, but it's all but it's all based on the schedule. So there right. there'd be there'd be no discussion like, hey, what do you want to have for dinner? It's like they. They pull up the chart and they say, oh, okay, so today we're having the wontons. Mm -hmm. It's already been planned out. So they don't, they, it also means they don't have to think about nutrition, calories, uh, dietary compatibility, because they already worked that all out. Right. Yeah. Uh, and uh, and, the, and another, the way other people do it is they'll eat at the same place every day. I'm one of those where I only go to a few places. I know. I'm kind of like that, too. Yep. I get boring. They, 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 they see me coming in. They know that my, that they know that I might exactly what my order is going to be. And they know it's typically something that's more or less off their menu, but slightly modified for me, usually in terms of leaving something off. The one thing that they do for me that they know to do is to pour that glass of Cabernet. Okay. So there I walk in and they go Cabernet and I say, yes. So they With have that part down. With with me with me it's iced tea. They know they know not to even bother asking. Don't even worry about it. That's <laughs> a, we already know the answer. So so let's move on here. Let's get back to close. Um, and uh, after that interesting little segue into the emotional aspects of branding and how people incorporate your brand with their personality. Let's move to competitive analysis in this saturated marketplace. Uh, First of all, define that term in your own words, and what are the reasons that people should do one, and how do they benefit from it? Okay, well, a competitive analysis is just that. You're analyzing the people you think are your competitors in what you're doing and how you compare to them. You know, some people say, well, there's no one um, that compares to what I'm doing. I'm doing something unique. So you have to look at it from what would your customer buy instead of yours? So in the case of Spanx, let's go back to that. What no one was doing Spanx, so she was new in that area, but right. they were buying things to hold themselves in that were less comfortable and, and less subtle than what she had. So she would look at people that were doing the product that she's doing, that she's selling, so that she could make sure that her pricing is right, her quality is right, who that customer is that's buying it. So let's say she's competing with Maiden Form. 
Main and Form is a foundation garment um, company. They've been around forever. So I, they're not really her competition, but it's the first one that comes to my mind. So let's say she decides that that's the one. And she looks at all of the demographics and psychographics for that customer so that she understands who their customer is and by um, transference, who her customer is. So she knows, well, if their customer is a 30-year-old woman with a college education, then my customer must be a 30-year-old woman with a college education. So you can really map out who your customer is based on the competition, but then you can also look at how your product solves the problems of that of the competition's customer and how you are different from the competition and how you can make your story. So um, for example, Ralph Lauren. Ralph Lauren competes with all high-end designer brands like um, Michael Kors, Calvin Klein, um, Zach Posen, who actually is going out of business, but you know, lines like that. So what did he bring to the table that made him unique and different? And his whole um, attitude in his brand is all about Americana, this kind of waspy, North um, New England kind of customer. So if you see products from Ralph Lauren, you know, oh my God, that that's Ralph. You don't even need to see the label to know that that's Ralph. Target is another example. You don't even need to see the name Target. Now all you need to see is the bullseye. But he, they figured out what they're going to do that's going to make them separate and unique from who they hang with. And that's a terminology in the business, meaning in a store, what garments are on the same racks as you are and where you would put. And then they can see how they can bring a different and unique point of view to it. Right. Is that, is that long-winded? Well, that's that's fine. Uh, detail is good. That's uh, one of the reasons we have our episodes of Business Creators Radio run up to 60 minutes is because I don't like those formats as much where we have 20 minutes and you have four questions to answer. You got a rapid fire, rapid fire, rapid fire, rapid fire. So question one, answer one, question two, answer two, question three, answer three. Here's my link to my website. Thank you very much. Have a good day. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Come on. I mean, there are plenty of shows that do that. I want our listener to imagine that they are the fly on the wall where you have a one-on-one mastermind session taking place. So notice, you know, you're sharing some stuff. I'm sharing some stuff. It's sort of like a meeting of the minds where we run through some ideas, some concepts, some recommendations, and we end up sometimes developing things on these calls. I mean, I really like the mastermind principle. I think it's very important to me. And I feel that already, I know that we're about two thirds of the way through here. I feel I've learned a great deal from you, not just about uh, the intricacies of brassiere design. <laughs> well, I'm glad that you found value in what we've gone over so far. It's well, we got more. You, it's Go interesting you mentioned mastermind groups because um, colleague and I just formed one. And I believe in them. I think they're very valuable. Right. I agree with that. So now let's uh, dive into, oh, what can we cover here? Shifts, shuffles cards, spins wheel. Okay. Product focus. What's that? Okay. That's a really big topic too. Okay, good. Yeah. Product focus is where you decide 
what your product is going to be and what it's going to be about and you stay true to your vision. I have people who come to me and I ask them, who is your customer? And they say, everybody. I say, well, your customer, you can't think of it like that. Yes, everyone can buy you, but not everyone is your customer. You need to focus in on your customer so that you stand for something and people know who you are. You can't be all over the place, especially when you're a startup, because your time and money is limited. There's just so much of it. So you can't do everything and be everything. Otherwise, you stand for nothing. And that's not a good place to be. You know, people come to me and they say, I want to do um, handbags, shoes, and jewelry. Think about how to do any of those particular businesses and how many styles and how much do you need to do in order to make that group impactful enough that people buy from you. I had someone come to me recently. He has this brand that he wants to do, but you know, he was told he doesn't have enough products. He had one leather jacket, one um, shirt, and a hat. Who is he going to sell that to? There's just Steve not Jobs. enough. Yeah, there you go. Except yeah. he's dead. <laughs> so that's going to be a little bit hard. We'd have to open up a pop-up shop in heaven. But, yeah. um, <laughs> but uh, you know, it doesn't. he's not important in any one area when he does such a limited amount of each. Who's going to come to shop him? What stores are going to buy him? If you sell to a department store, they have different buyers for each category. You're going to try to sell one hat to a department store. It's not meaningful. So in order to have meaning, you have to have a big enough line to make a statement. I'm not saying 30 pieces, but it can't be one. It has to be definitely more than that. So if that's the case, it makes more sense to do one category and do it well and then later on add to your product focus. But focus is important in all aspects of your business, not just in product, but in your marketing, in your messaging, in your production, fabrics you choose. Being solid in fewer things is much stronger than being okay in like a bunch of things. So what you're saying is if you want to specialize in hoodies, you don't have to also do turtlenecks. Right. Okay. Right. I just, I, 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 I just want to make sure. So if you're selling, if you're selling slacks and, and button downs, you don't also have to offer accessories. You can Correct. if you want to, but you don't but have you to. There's no shouldn't. law that says you probably should, but there's no law that says you have to. So if you really want to. No, I'm saying you shouldn't. Should, oh, shouldn't. I misheard you. Yes, you shouldn't have that many things because if you, like I said, you have a limited amount of money and a limited amount of time. First of all, in terms of production, different factories make accessories than make apparel. So you have to find different factories. You have to just find different fabrics, different um, materials to use for each one. You have to design different looks. You're you don't have that much money and time to do all that. You're probably one person, maybe you're five people. So do pick one thing and do it really well and make a splash in that. And then you can later on add other ideas and add other categories. Once you have a solid business that you're building from. Right, right. So 
yeah, it makes a lot. It makes a lot of sense. Now, again, we're in a saturated market, and uh, we gotta, we gotta, you know, we're working on branding, identity, all these types of things. So, with all this stuff going on, all these things we gotta work through, plus the three hundred and sixty-five day turnaround on a bra design. Uh, what strategy do you, I'm going to keep coming back to that just because I just find it so remarkable that I'd never thought of that. And just as sort of a, a nudge to people to think carefully about things you may not be aware of, uh, questions you might not even know you need to ask just yet. Because as you said, that surprised you a little bit too. Uh, that being said, what strategies uh, should someone use to create sales, especially when um, overhead investment capital is an issue? Well, the very first thing that I tell people to do is a business plan. You know, okay. there are people out there who don't believe in them because they say there's no way to predict what your sales are going to be. And that's right. true. You're going to work on assumptions, but you have to have a jumping off point. And the great thing about business plans is it forces you to answer certain questions about your business. What's your mission, your vision, what's your product, what, who are you? competitors how do you compare to them what's the cash flow how many styles are you going to make you answer all those questions so that you can when you're done you can decide what you need to do based on everything that you built so it's like building a house with a plan you have a a plan for your house and it shows you all of the foundation the walls the struts the gas and electric, it shows you everything that you need to do. And then you can price it out and you know what, how much money you need. And you look at it and you say, well, I don't have that much money. Maybe I could take this off the table and do something less here. So that's why business plans are very, really important. I think that building a structure without any kind of guideline is a waste. So you need to set up the guideline and then you can plan how are you going to sell? Are you going to sell wholesale? Are you going to sell retail? You know, what's the platform that you're going to use? And then you can come up with the strategy of selling. Do you want to hire salespeople? Do you want to hire independent sales reps? Do you want to do trade shows? Do you want to go only uh, B2C and do an internet business? You can create the strategies based on the plan that you've developed, and then you can start working the strategies. But there's a lot of ways to sell product and you need to know the basis, the foundation before you start to sell it. Yeah. You know, if I, I you know, if I were visioning myself getting into the fashion business, I would be, this is just me. And again, I haven't tried it, but uh, what comes to mind is I'd be looking for, is there some sort of local retail shop that would stock my stuff? Well, that's a good way to go. I suggest that to people yeah. when they're first starting. You know, they're small. They don't have a lot of money. They don't, can't invest in people. So I have them go to stores within a 100-mile radius of their house, hand their business cards out, tell them what they're doing, and try to get them to buy. The good thing about working locally is people like to support local companies. Yeah. They love to do that. But conversely magazines, newspapers like to support local companies too. So if you have, you know, we have this thing called uh, River something, Rivers, I can't remember the name, Rivertown, Rivertown. Yeah. It's a magazine. It's um, local. It's in Rockland County. I've had, I used to have a store once upon a time and they did a whole two page article on me so that I was in that paper. Yeah. 
again, local person doing something locally, you can get a lot of press and then you could talk about the store that you're in and their area and get them press. So it's very good to start there and then you could expand out. Once you have proof of concept and you have things working in a local region, then you can hire a sales rep to take over for the region in addition to the rest of the region that they cover and they have some solid base to jump off of. And as you expand, you can expand in terms of how many salespeople you have. But it's a great idea to start locally. I absolutely recommend it. Yeah, I think that's fan, fantastic. Uh, so again, that's just what I've jumped out at, at me. So in the time we have left here, let's see if we can round out a couple other things. And I think this is going to be kind of a big deal. And this is a very frequent uh, question where, or an area where people don't necessarily know what they don't know and don't know what questions to ask. When it comes to the online selling portal, uh, I, I'm remembering this a few months ago. There's this company called Portions, P-O-U-R-T-I-O-N-S. They uh, are a small boutique uh, designer of like plates and cups and things like that, like 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 dining room sets, basically. And what a cute name. Yeah, yeah. Basically, what it what it is is they have they have serving marks on their plates and on their and on their glasses and their cups and things like that that humorously tell you how much you should pour or how much you should put on your plate, uh, you know, to have a regular size meal and how much to have a large size meal or how much to put in your, in your wine glass to get buzzed versus how much you get smashed. And they're really humorous about this. Uh, Macy's had them, had their, some of their wares placed in Macy's stores. And then one, and I use air quotes on this influencer blew at hissy fit and uh, Macy's folded like a cheap, like a cheap suit and, begged everybody's forgiveness where I think there were a total of like three people that care one way or the other. Here's I don't understand. What did they have a hissy fit about? Oh, I don't know. Every kind of ism out there. And I know I'm injecting a little bit of my own personal thoughts into this and so be it. But here's where I'm going with this. The people who, um, the people who created portions, they also had placements in other stores. So being eliminated from Macy's because Macy's has no backbone, which has been proven again and again and again, by the way, um, is, uh, again, I'm putting some personal stuff into it, so be it. It's my show. I'm allowed. But anyway, they have placements <laughs> in other stores, too, but the Macy's thing did hurt them a bit. Meanwhile, the manufactured outrage over this one person running their mouth um, caused the usual effect that you get when you start with this cancel culture and this boycotts and such is usually you have the opportunity to make a lot of money because your fault, because you will attract fans, friends, and followers you didn't know existed who will be happy to support you just because you find yourself on the same side of the issue. You see more and more of that in the marketplace. And I can see that potentially applying to fashion, depending on what's written on the t-shirts and the sweatshirts. Here's the problem with portions. Their website wasn't set up for e-commerce. They had people saying, I want to buy your plates now, and I can't buy them. They weren't oh, ready. Wow. Just recently, within the past couple weeks, and this issue that happened with them was months ago. Mm -hmm. Just within the past couple weeks, they've gotten their e-commerce up and running. 
So this bad publicity turned into positive publicity. Yeah, yeah, they 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 worked it brilliantly. Because it brought a lot of attention to the brand, and once they saw it, they thought, "How cute!" Like I'm looking at it now. Um, they have size like spaghetti size um, is small, and then get to the spa is bigger. <laughs> so based on the size, you either could eat the spaghetti or you could eat the spaghetti, but you have to go to the gym. I see. Yeah, pretty much. Yeah, that, I thought that, that was, was very cute. Yeah. And a lot of people did too. And uh, but the point being is they missed an opportunity to pick up on a big sales spike. Yeah, they did. Yeah, and I and, always and, and, suggest and, to my customers yeah. that they do a website business in addition to everything else. They had a website, just wasn't set up for e-commerce. And well, they, I tell them to set it up for yeah. e-commerce. and they I struggled believe in with it. it. They struggled with it. I think it took a long time to get the e-commerce thing done. I'm thinking, it's not that hard. Think, and I'm thinking, how does it take you months to do this? I wanted to actually write to them and ask them what was taking them so long because the point you're about to make when you answer the question is that there are many ways you can get your store set up to sell your clothes. And it's, it's just a, a matter of knowing what to ask. It's a very easy way to do it. Um, well, there's companies out there that have this and do this for a living, like Shopify or Wix, W-I-X. Those are two examples of places that have templates that you can buy with shopping carts attached that you, all you have to do is upload the style that you want to the website and add the shopping cart. And sometimes it's only a few hundred dollars to buy in and to buy their template. And maybe a you know, portion of the sales goes to them in order for them to run the shopping cart. But it's so easy and it can be done so quickly. It's right. crazy that it takes them this long. So, yes, that's what I would suggest that anybody, in fact, unless you have unlimited funds where you can have something built exactly the way you want, these are the best solutions out there. And there's other companies besides those two. Those are the two that I seem to come across the most. So it's Shopify, S-H-O-P-I-F-Y. And the other one is Wix, W-I-X. Are you familiar with them? Both of them. Yeah. And that's what I suggest that people do who... First of all, the great thing about selling direct to consumer is you don't have the store as the middleman. So your margins yeah. are much greater when you sell. And it also helps you build your brand and build your followers. So there's no, there's no reason not to and only reasons to do it. Right. I think what might hold people up sometimes, I want to get your thoughts on this, is they see that they need to do some sort of e-commerce and they will want to build something that's completely bespoke, uh, completely customized, or what have you. Or they'll be so concerned uh, about every single piece of the branding being absolutely 1,000%, even to the exact sub-semi-point of the font or something like that. Whereas I would argue, find something that looks close, make the money, and then pay your developer. Well, let me tell you something uh, about me. I'm an inherently lazy person. Okay. I don't like to work that hard. I mean, I have, yeah. trust me. I but got I you. don't like to. So I always try to find the fastest, easiest way to do anything. And to me, it's better to get it done, even if it's not perfect, 
than to keep trying to be perfect and not get it done. You know, analysis, paralysis, you know, people take so much trying, time trying to perfect it and it's never going to be perfect. So sometimes good enough is good enough. Yeah. And so I agree with you. It's better to get it started and refine it than to not get started at all. And I'm not saying do bad work because that doesn't work. I would right. suggest that. But I'm saying it doesn't have to be perfect, especially if you're a new small company with a limited budget. You know, get yourself started. There's beautiful templates on these sites. Use them. And a lot of people use them and they work. Right. And they look good. So use something like that, get it going and start to build your audience because that's really the most important thing is to start to build your audience, start to capture email addresses, start to get people to buy you. You have to get started. Otherwise, you could be doing this forever and not get anywhere. Yeah, true. Can't, candidly. And the other thing I would point out, and the reason I intentionally brought up the portions example is you never know when it's going to hit. I mean, up until that little thing with Macy's and what have you, uh, portions was another company that made diningware. Uh, they had a little bit of a unique take on it, which is part of the, the brand aspect of it. But unless you were in a store where you happened to see it on the shelf, you wouldn't even think to look for it. Right. But uh, then something gets in the media. Next thing you know, uh, the founders of Portions are on all of the morning TV shows on, uh, on the national news circuit and everything. I mean, I got a lot of publicity and a lot of interviews out of the, out of the whole thing uh, that they use very skillfully to their advantage. But all that put together, they still weren't ready to sell. Like, come <laughs> on, do something. <laughs> really? Yeah. And I, and I just hate to see somebody else get caught up in that because I, you know, when I, uh, when I uh, saw that they uh, were able to promote uh, online, I went and bought a couple things. And I, oh, was you one did. Of the, I was one of the people that wrote to them and said, guys, uh, I'm, ready to, I'm ready to buy some stuff. I, cause I, cause one of the, one of the, one of the issues here, I'm on their website right now. They have uh, wine glasses mm -hmm. and uh, let's see. Uh, some of the names of the wine glasses are called Call a Cab, Nap, Under the Table, and On the Hips. So you can see they really <laughs> see, and see and see, you know, we find we find it hilarious. So let's look at Nap. All right, this is a wine glass and it has two serving marks on it. The lower one is nip, and the higher one is nap. So rather than get a little buzz, you're gonna go to sleep based on how much. Right, wine I think it's adorable. Yeah. So what I was gonna so I wanted to do is I wanted to get two of these wine these nap wine glasses and fill them with catnip wine. There is such a thing as catnip wine and feed it to my cats. Oh, they'll break it. Because the lower level says nip and they're used to sticking their, and my cats are used to sticking their heads in my glass to drink my iced tea. So oh, you're it, wouldn't be, it wouldn't be a big My cats pressure. wouldn't be allowed to do that. Oh, I don't, I don't let them get away with it. I'm just saying that they, they're conditioned to do it. I don't let them get away <laughs> with it at all. That's Good right, boy. Alessandra. No, 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 Alessandra. All right, so we've uh, we've had a lot of fun here today, and uh, you know we're pretty much near the top of the hour. So I just wanted to give you a moment and tell us what uh, somebody is leaning in and finds, whether it's the fashion industry or uh, you know developing 
a niche type of brand along those lines and would like to get some help with that. How do you engage with folks and how do you serve them? Like what should they do not now? Well, they can go on my site um, and send me an, or send me an email at maria at vibeconsulting.co and we can have a free consultation. I have three levels that I work with people. I consult with them and help them do the work and plan the business and get it to the next level. Or I coach with them and they do all the work and we speak weekly. Or I also have a membership site that they can belong to where it's a community of people like them who are in the fashion business. Um, I do webinars each week for them. I send a newsletter each month. We have a Facebook group. They can ask questions. Um, they're burning questions and we solve them. We have a live Q&A once a month. So that's another way that they can work with me and get the benefit of what I know and, and what I've experienced. Yeah, great. So again, that website is vibeconsulting.co. Uh, again, thank you very much. Uh, so uh, Maria Pezen, I want to say I really appreciate you uh, taking some time to hang out with us here at Business Creators Radio Show. It's been an honor and an education. Oh, well, I'm glad to hear that. And thank you very much for having me on. I love your energy and you have some really good, solid insights. Well, we had so, a lot of fun here today. Well, I'm glad that you did because I did. I love doing this. Yes. All right. So uh, everybody listening, I hope you've appreciated today's episode of the Business Creators Radio Show. Check out our previous and our upcoming episodes on our website at www.businesscreatorsradioshow.com. While you're there, be sure to subscribe via your favorite network so you get fresh episodes every single week delivered to your inbox. Until next time, have a great day. Take care.